much. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have your Bible, please turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going to be today. Starting in verse 1, and uh, we're going to work our way down to verse 16. And so, uh, you know, this is a fun passage of Scripture. And <laughs> I've, been, I've been looking at it all week, and I'm trying to figure out how can I get out of preaching this this week, you know what I mean? And so, it's one of those things where it's just, uh, maybe I could preach the entire chapter, not to go into such detail on this. And, and then I thought, well, I wouldn't do a good job, you know, at all. It would just kind of be, it would be even worse. And so I figure, you know, let's just go ahead and get our hands dirty a little bit today. Now, let me just say this. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're here, that you're visiting with us. You know, Easter is right around the corner and uh, we're going to have uh, a community Good Friday service. If, you, if you've seen it online, there's uh, also some of these little cards on the, the back and the entryway tables, and there's a QR code you can scan, and you can RSVP there. And uh, I, uh, I've got, I'm got a small part in this, uh, and so I'll, I'll speak for five minutes. I'm one of six pastors that are going to be preaching for five minutes. You know, don't get used to that, you know, and so... <laughs> Uh, but I, I don't even know if it's going to be possible. I that's just like folly to ask six pastors that preach for five minutes each. But, um, but anyway, it's going to be worth your time. Uh, I think I'm really excited about this as well. And uh, not just Baptist churches, but churches from all different denominations, Protestant denominations throughout the community. We're really, really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really uh, a blessed night. And so I hope that you take time to RSVP for that. There is child care provided as well. And um, it's good. It's good. All right. First Corinthians chapter 7. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the day. We thank you so much for the many blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together in this place and to worship you. I thank you for uh, this church and their willingness to serve you, to love this community, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout this community and throughout the nations. And Father, I pray that you just continue to bless it, continue to use it for your honor, for your glory. I, I thank you that people come here each and every week and they, they give of their tithes and their offerings. They, they give of their time. They, uh, they, they serve, they worship, they participate, Father. And I, I, I thank you that, that visitors come and people choose to, to give us a chance. And and Father, I pray that right here, right now, as we gather together around your word, Father, I pray that you would speak to us in such a way that we know without a shadow of a doubt that it's your voice, that you are speaking to us, that you're piercing our hearts, you're penetrating our, our, our minds and our souls, and you're allowing us to hear a word from you. So Father, I pray that, that today that your people would hear a message from you, the people that are seeking, that are, that are trying to find truth in their life, that this would be a time where they hear from you. Father, I recognize that I have a part in this. And so if you would, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of the unrighteousness that is in my life and give me the grace that is necessary to preach your word in a way to bring honor and glory to your name, in a way that brings sinners to repentance and believers into a time of renewal and their relationship with you. And Lord, if there's someone here today that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that today would be that day, the day where they admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess Jesus Christ as Savior 
and Lord. For the believer that's here today that may be struggling or going through hardships or just having a rough week, Father, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would give them peace, that you would give them joy, that you would give them just a resolve to be faithful. Lord, you are so good and gracious and kind and full of mercy, full of love, full of grace. And so, Lord, as we are here today, would you please just allow for us to know that you are with us. It's in your son's name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Mark Cuban says that uh, most businesses fail not because of a lack of income, but because of a lack of brain, a lack of effort, a lack of understanding. If you ever owned a business for, for very long, you know that there are going to be times, there are going to be days where maybe even months and maybe even years, insert COVID into that equation, you know, there may be times when you don't make a profit. You know, there are going to be days when you look down and you're going to say, well, I spent more money than I profited. When you own a business, you're doing it though because you think, well, this community, this, I, I can provide a service. I can provide a service that will bring about profit. Uh, the more profit, the better. Profit's good, loss bad. I know this is really tough for you to understand. Uh, but the church is one of those weird businesses that's non-for-profit, right? I mean, we really, we don't judge the, our success based upon how much of a profit or loss there really is. I mean, when you tithe, when you give of your income to the church, we, we don't store up that money into some saving account and say we're never going to spend it. We actually, we, we, we find ways to use it for the kingdom work. We actually, our missions committee actually gave $1,000 to a, a missions organization just this past month. And that organization, within three months of them receiving that money, will give it away. Will use it for kingdom work. And they, they, they make it like their MO. Like, we don't keep money here. We send it out. That's their, that's, their, that's their MO. Okay? In our pastor scripture for today, Paul is answering the question, if it's profitable for a believer to have a sexual relationship with a woman or not. Now, uh, the church in Corinth is not asking about financial gains here. They are asking a spiritual question about sex. Is it good for a man to have sex with a woman? Now, in our day and time, that might seem like an odd question, but put yourself in their shoes. They grew up in a, a very sexually immoral culture, okay? And Paul is hypercritical of this immorality. And so they're asking the question, I think, maybe it seems like maybe like some of it of a ridiculous question to us, but maybe it's not to them. Or maybe they think it is too. I don't know. Maybe they was, well, can we even have sex, Paul? I mean, is, that, is it even okay to do this? I mean, I don't know what their basis behind the question, but I don't think Paul thinks it's a ridiculous question. If it is, or if he did, he wouldn't be answering it in the manner in which he responded 
Let's look at verse 1. We're going to kind of break this up into three different groups. Instead of going verse by verse here, I think it's a little bit easier for us to kind of look at this in sections. Verse 1, going to verse 5. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? But because of the temptation to the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then... Come together again so that Satan might not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The Greek word here for profit or good is kalos. It's used 101 times in the New Testament, okay? It means profitable, good, beautiful, rich, quality. Paul uses it three times in this chapter alone. Here in verse 1, verse 8, and in verse 26. Each time of these instances that Paul uses this word, he says it's profitable for you to be in a monogamous heterosexual relationship. It's good. It is good for you, okay? He's not critical. He's not saying it's bad. He's saying it's good, okay? In this first instance, Paul is saying that it's good to be married to escape the sexual temptation that the devil can bring. What Paul says in verse 2 and 4, 2 to 4, is quite radical, though especially in this context, especially to the church in Corinth, Paul taught that each man should have his wife and each woman should have her own husband. And they should remain faithful to each other. Men were allowed, as we talked about last week, men were allowed to have sexual relationships with their slaves or with a prostitute. It was allowed. It's part of their marriage agreement, friends. Like if you can look back at old contracts, old covenants that they made, that's part of it. Okay, it was allowed practice for them, for a man to have relationships, sexual relationships outside of his marriage. It wasn't allowed for the wife, but it was allowed for the man. A man also in this culture had authority over his body and his wife's. Paul is saying that in the Christian marriage, extramarital affairs were not permitted. He isn't saying that married people shouldn't have sex. He's actually saying just the opposite of that. He's saying to the husbands, with love and respect, your wife should fulfill your sexual desires and needs. And in the same breath, he says to your wives, with love and respect, your husband should fulfill your sexual needs and desires. Paul is saying that sex within the confines of marriage is a good and beautiful thing. It's profitable. Isn't that what you wanted to hear this morning from your pastor, that sex is a profitable thing? But Paul says in verse 5 that your sex life and marriage within the confines of marriage can benefit from times of absence for the sake of prayer. But then he says this break shouldn't take a long time because it could cause you to fall into temptation. Husbands, listen to what he's, what he's saying here though. I think it's important for you to hear the message that he has and how he's discussing it. 
I mean, he's, he's talking about it in a very egalitarian manner. Equal. That in sex, the partners are equal. It's not like you have authority and she doesn't. It's not like he's saying, hey, you, are, you can do whatever you want in this manner. He says, you have authority, she has authority. Just as much as you do, she does. Men, we are to lead with love and respect. Now, verse 6, he says this, As a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all of you were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. But for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. In verse 8 here, we have this second kalos, good. It's used the second time in this chapter. Paul says it's good, profitable for the unmarried and widows to remain single unless they can't remain under self-control. Then they should what? They should get married. Paul says in verse 7, I wish you were as I am. As, at this time, Paul was single. And so he says to those who are single, I wish you were self-controlled. I wish you were content. I wish you weren't fall into temptation, but each man has their own spiritual gift. Each man is, is an individual. And some of you are not self-controlled. Some of you are not content with being single. Some of you need to be married. As a Jew, prior to Paul's conversion, he was on the fast track, friends, in, in the Jewish faith. You know, and Benjamin, from the tribe of Benjamin, he was a priest. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Did you know that in order for you to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you have to be what? Married. And so Paul here, though, is saying that he's what? Not married. He's single. So one of two things have happened here. He's either been divorced or he's what? A widow. One of the two things. I mean, he's either been divorced or his wife has passed away. Today he's single. But at one time, in order for him to be a member of that Sanhedrin, he had to have been married. The Bible gives us no indication on whether or not he was divorced or widowed. I know that some would say that God would never call a divorced man to be an apostle. But what if his life left him because of his faith? Because of his new transformation, because of his conversion? His wife, a Jew, said, listen, I can't, I'm not on board with that. I don't know if that happened. But I know a lot of pastors whose wives aren't on board with their calling. I know a lot of people who want to go into ministry, men and women both, but their spouse says, there is no way I'm being married to a minister.
Some of the most godly men and women that I know are divorced. Charles Stanley, one of the most beloved preachers in America, is divorced, friends. For 10 years, you know, they, over 10 years, him and his wife tried to make their marriage work and filed for divorce multiple times, and finally in 2000, their divorce was finalized. I don't think that Paul is condoning divorce, but I do think that he's talking to them in verse 8. You who are single. There are three different types of unmarried people. There are those who have never been married, those who have been divorced, and those who are a widow. It appears that Paul is speaking to all unmarried people here, does it not? He doesn't say what type of unmarried besides the unmarried and the widowed. Some commentators, like Albert Barnes, thinks that the unmarried means never married. But Gordon Fee thinks that the unmarried means divorced. The reason he thinks this is because if you look down at verses 25 to 40, it is speaking to the never married and the engaged to be married. Fee's thinking is that if he's going to talk about the engaged and the never married in a whole other section up of itself, why bring it up here? I think that makes a lot more sense contextually as well. I think it also, if you look at back at verse 6, Paul says now as a concession, not a command, I say this. What's a concession? What does it mean to concede? It means that if you and I are arguing about who's the best quarterback of all time, like you have to concede to the fact that Tom Brady has more rings than anybody else, Okay. You have to have that, like, you've got to say, listen, that's a pretty good argument, all right? It's pretty good. And the guy that everybody thinks is going to be the next GOAT, he beat him in the Super Bowl pretty badly, okay? So if you're going to make that type of argument, you have to concede the fact Tom Brady is pretty good, okay? I know, listen, I understand that's painful for some of you to hear, but concede, okay? Give it up. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, hey, listen, I concede. A concession is, listen, I'm going to give you this, this part, okay? You don't have to like it, but listen, I will concede. I'll give up this little section, the fact. I may not, does that make sense? What does it mean? If, I, if I, it means I'm arguing a point here and Paul is conceding this, is he conceding what he already said? verses 1 to 5? Or is he conceding what he's about to allude to? I mean, is, is, what do you think the church in Corinth is arguing for? Do you, I mean, this is a church that, where a man was having sex with his stepmom. This is a church that is sexually immoral. They, they have relationships with prostitutes. Okay, they have it in their marriage vows that they can have sex with somebody outside of their marriage. Do you think that they're arguing Paul for, hey, this is what I really want. I want us to be able to have a relationship with my wife, for that to be a monogamous relationship, and for us to say, you know what, we need time for prayer in our sex life. That's what they're arguing for? That makes no sense at all. That's what Paul is conceding? Or is he conceding to the people who have been divorced? who have gone through hardships, whose spouse has left them, 
because of their faith, because of their conversion. And these people are burning with desire and they want to have another marriage. They want to be able to experience love as a Christian. So as Paul is saying, listen, you've lost a loved one because of a, a death. You've lost one because your former spouse doesn't want to be in this type of a relationship, doesn't want to practice this same type of faith. And you want to be married? He's saying, I think what he's saying here, what could be saying at the very least is that, listen, I would rather you get remarried than burn with a desire. I would rather you be in a marriage with a Christian man or woman than to visit the prostitutes. Does that sound like a lot more sense to you than the former? It does to me. Contextually, it makes a lot more sense. I don't think this gives us a pass to get divorced. In my home, in our home, Kathy and I's home, divorce is a dirty word. And I mean that. We don't talk about it. We don't joke about it. We don't reference it. We don't discuss it. If we even allude to anything that's regarding separation, we chastise one another. Friends, we have locked ourselves arm in arm together and thrown away the key. And let me tell you, our marriage is just like everybody else's marriage in this room. We fight, we argue, we complain about each other's bad habits. We argue about how many pillows should be on the bed and whether or not the blinds should be open. And we just, I mean, some of the dumbest arguments we have are the biggest arguments that we have. And there's hardships in marriage and there's difficulties. My marriage is just the same as yours is. There are times when I don't want to say I'm sorry. I don't want to concede. I don't want to say that, you know what, you're right on this. Paul is not giving you an excuse to get divorced. He's not giving you an out here. That's not what he's saying here at all. Actually, it's just the opposite. If you look at verse 10, don't believe me. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and can he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has made holy because of his wife. An unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children wouldn't be unclean. I'm sorry, would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you, God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. Paul is telling them not to get divorced. He's not giving them a, an out here, friends. He's saying, don't do it. If there's any way to save your marriage, then you need to fight for your marriage. 
Verses 10 and 11, if you're married, don't get a divorce. If you're separated, try to reconcile, he says. You ever gone through hardships in your marriage? Ever been separated? Ever one person say, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm not coming back? Ever have a person say, I'm going to the, go to the hotel? Friends, let me tell you, I, I've done enough marriage counseling in my ministry to know there are people in this room who are married to somebody else in this room who are not happy. It happens. But we are called as children of God to reconcile these relationships, these marriages. It's our calling. It's what God desires for us is reconciliation, not just in our relationship with him, but in our relationships with other people. Your marriage is the most important relationship that you have on this earth. Do you not think that God doesn't want you to be reconciled to that person? Of course he does. Friends, I'm not a marriage counselor. I tell people all the time, like I, I have cards on my desk for people that need counseling. I do premarital counseling. I'll, I'll do some marriage counseling, but I try as best as I can to give people who are struggling in their marriages or struggling in their faith or struggling in their relationship. with that, Hey, if you need professional help, here's somebody that you can talk to. It's, it, it isn't the end of the world, friends. Asking for help is not the end of the world. It's the right thing to do. And there are going to be times in some of your marriages where you're going to need professional counseling. Go get it. Write the check. It's worth the investment. And sometimes you just need it just because, you know what? There's something going on we can't reconcile. We need a mediator between this situation. That's okay. Reconcile your relationship to your spouse. It's worth it, friends. Nobody gets married thinking, hey, I, I hope this doesn't work. You know? Everybody goes into a marriage thinking, man, this is going to be the person that I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. When I do premarital counseling people, I make them tell me, you're never going to get a divorce. That's the agreement. I make them say three things to me. One of them is they're going to go through go through six sessions of premarital counseling. They're not going to be able to pay me for doing the wedding because weddings are so expensive. They don't need to pay me to do my job. And third, they can't get a divorce. And you know what they all say? Okay, we can do that. It's easy on the front end. Seven years in, is it easy? Seven months in? Is it easy? Paul says, try to reconcile. Even if you're separated, even if you're on the verge, there's hope. Verses 12 and 13, if you are married to an unbeliever and they are willing to remain married, then don't go get a divorce just because one is a believer and one is not. I, uh, <laughs> I had a, an old man in a church that I used to work, serve in, and uh, 
this situation happened where he became a believer and his wife was not a believer. And his faith became a point of tension in their relationship. Very much a contentious point. Should we remain married? Should we not? This is, these are real issues, are they not? That people deal with on a daily basis. These are issues that just aren't, there's not like a quick light switch that you can turn on and turn off to solve the problem. These are issues that people deal with on a daily basis, friends. They're hardships, they're difficulties. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, I understand that sometimes life is not black and white. It's hard, it's difficult. There are situations that are sticky. And there isn't always an easy answer. He says in verse 15, though, to those in this situation, if the unbelieving spouse wants a divorce, grant them one. You know, again, to me, divorce is a dirty word, but there are times, friends, when divorce is okay. And the Bible even gives us precedent for that. Here we see an unbelieving spouse wants one, grant them. If they're unfaithful, grant it to them. Friends, let me say this. I think if, if your spouse is physically abusing you, get out of that marriage. Get out of that marriage. If your daughter is being physically abused, get out of that marriage. I mean, you counsel her, coach her, tell her, come home. If your son's wife is unfaithful, hey, that's grounds for divorce. The covenant of marriage has been broken friends the expectation for many people is to get remarried and Paul says here hey if you can stand it to not get married maybe that's the best thing for you to do but if you can't I'll concede what he says in verse 14 is quite interesting though if we read this, Paul might be implying that, we might think that Paul is implying that somehow if you're married to an unbeliever that, that's, that they're going to be saved by your own faith. And that's not what Paul is saying here at all. But rather what he is saying is simply that you are to be light in darkness. That you are to be a peacemaker. That you are to provide for them every reason to put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Not give them a reason to not believe, but to give them a reason to believe, not just for their sake, but for the sake of your children, of your family. Friends, we are called to a higher calling, and there are going to be times and situations in our lives where we, I mean, we don't have the answer. I mean, even when we look into this book and we're like, man, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And we have to walk by faith. And I think this book it's the best book we have on this earth to find the answers. And I, I truly do believe that if we look hard enough, God's going to direct us. God's going to speak to us. But at the same time, there are some times that we look at this and we're like, I don't know the answer. I'm not sure what God wants me to do. I know that there's a, there's a direction he wants me to go. I know, but I don't know what that is. 
And let me tell you, I really truly do believe that in every situation that God puts us in, there is an opportunity for us to honor him in the decisions that we make. Okay? And sometimes we put ourselves in some situations that are not God-honoring. Don't mishear me now. But, there are, but God will not put you in a situation, friends, in which you cannot honor him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The struggles that you go through are not uncommon unto man, but God is faithful. He will give you an opportunity to escape temptation, friends. So whatever is going, you're going through in this life, whatever hardships, whatever trial, whatever temptation that you are facing, God is faithful and true. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will give you escape. Friends, when I was a young boy, let me tell you something, I, I struggled with wanting to be like my buddies, you know? When I was in high school, when I was in college, my buddies would call me up and they would want me to go out and they would want me to go party or they would go and be, hang out with these girls or do this or do that. And, and I, I was a Christian. I, I was like, man, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I kind of want to hang out with my boys, you know? And I would pray and I would ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And sometimes the, the answer was my mom and dad would be going out to dinner with, their, with my aunt and uncle. And they're like, hey, Jeff, do you want to go with us to dinner? 18 years old, what would you rather do? Hang out with your boys? Go with a bunch of old people to get fried fish on a Friday night. <laughs> Sometimes, guys, I just, you got to go eat fried fish. It's not what you want to do, but you know, this is what God, it's an opportunity to escape the temptation that Satan is trying to get you to fall under. There's an opportunity in every one of these situations that we face to honor the Lord in it. And we have to be men and women who have a solid enough relationship with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, this is God speaking to me. He's given me this opportunity to escape. It's an opportunity to be faithful. It's an opportunity to be the man or woman that God has called me to be. Maybe God is speaking to you right now. He's asking you to be faithful. Father, we give you thanks for the day. We thank you for this opportunity to hear a word from you. Father, I know that you are speaking to us today and that you are allowing us to hear from you and Father, life is sometimes it's really hard, it's really difficult, and we, we don't know which step to take, which direction to go, which decision to make. And Father, I just pray that right here today that you would give us the grace that we need to be the men and women that you've called us to be, to do the things that you've called us to do. Father, help us to honor you with the decisions that we make. Help us to flee from temptation, that the the devil is trying to get us to fall. Father, help us to be faithful and true. And help us as the body of Christ to support one another, to love one another. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. 
If there's someone here today, Lord, that has never put their faith and trust in you, that has never admitted that they are a sinner, never believed that Jesus is the Son of God, never confessed Christ as Savior, and Lord, I pray that right here, right now, today would be that day where they would give everything over to you and put their faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, we love you and pray all these things in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen.